We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 45. I don't know about you, Sam, but that's a big number. But before we even, who is Sam? For those who have never heard, I'm your co-host, Alexander Gange-Ruzik. I'm back for the third sub with Samuel Rowan. We've been recording a, a decent while today already, so maybe we're already going to sound tired. But we're talking about the Vancouver Whitecaps. That always fires us up after a CPL episode. Again, check it out if you haven't, if you like CPL. But Sam... How, how are you doing this this week after attending another Whitecaps game live? And for the first time, I guess, for you this year, did you go to the home opener? I, I was at the home opener, yes. So that was the first win you witnessed this year. I don't know what it was, the magic formula, but I mean, the Whitecaps are 2-0 and when I sit on the right side of the press box, and they're 0-1 when I sit on the left. So maybe I'm the bad juju, but... Yeah, I guess how was it taken in that live that live football of the, the Vancouver Whitecaps beating the Montreal Impact for the first time in 2020? Well, first and foremost, congratulations on nailing the not only the result but the scoreline. So full full value to you. Uh, it seems like one of us is hot and one of us is cold because I, I I got the Toronto one pinned down pretty well, and then you got this home result at Montreal pinned down pretty well. So at least one of us seems to be relatively uh, dialed into what's going to happen. And yeah, a Whitecaps win, a red card, the return of Freddie Montero. Uh, I mean, lots of things, some things we were expecting, some things we definitely didn't expect. Um, I, I was almost in a way disappointed that the red card happened as early as it did because I thought that in those opening stages, the Whitecaps in that 4-2-3-1 were playing some of the better football we've seen in a while. But there were lots of little individual things that went a lot better. And as much as you know, the red card does kind of skew the overall result because it it, it does obviously you know help the Whitecaps massively in the long term. Um, I think that just overall, whether it was 11 v 11 or 11 v 10, the Whitecaps did some specific things a lot better on, uh, on, I guess that was Wednesday now. So I'm losing track of the days here, but yeah, uh, it was overall, overall an encouraging performance. Now, does that translate to this now new span of road matches heading out to Utah this weekend? In fact, the Whitecaps are probably either headed to the airport or in transit at the moment. I don't know. We will have to see. But uh, credit to Mark DeSantos for making adjustments and credit to the players for buying in and, and executing. Boy, there's so much to go over. But I feel, I, I think we, you know, for this podcast, I think uh, we've, we've put ourselves out there a lot. We've, we've gone with some hot takes. And boy, do I, I think, like, I don't want to, I don't, maybe one day we'll go on like a world dunk tour. And then another day we'll go on a world get dunked on tour because we, we've had some bad takes. I don't think that's... I, I think we've been like, taking more W's than L's recently, though. Our, our think, overall has been pretty positive. I feel pretty vindicated on some things I saw. For example, the four-two-three-one. Like, I mean, personally, I've been calling for the four-three-three a bit as well. 
But I've also said since the beginning, the 4-2-3-1. And for me, looking in hindsight, I think moving away from the 4-2-3-1 is the biggest question mark because the Whitecaps against Minnesota United preseason, again, it's preseason. I mean, we're, that's the preseason game we're going to talk about like five years from now just because for like, whatever, it had this profound impact because we hadn't seen Whitecaps soccer played that like, way in such a long time. And maybe I just, it's memorable for me because I watched the first half in a bus and I watched the other half in the library at Ryerson University. And I don't know, it's just a, it's such a great game. And, they, and I rewatched it and tactically broke it down. And they played some darn good football in my, in my humble opinion. Opening day, 4-4-2 with Jordi Reyna and, and Lucas Cavallini. I'm sorry. Like if we're going to, if the, you know, if we're going to see a 4-4-2, why didn't, why wasn't it? Lucas Cavallini and Freddie Montero or Lucas Cavallini and St. Ricketts in the opener. They play a 4-4-2 with Ricketts and Cavallini. They win. So maybe there's something in a playing players in their natural positions. <clears throat> and, and then after that, it's just a carousel of formations. So first game, they return back to the 4-2-3-1 after engaging in that carousel. Um, what happens, they win, and they not only do they win, they kind of looked like that famous Minnesota game for the first time probably since that Minnesota game. So There were certainly shades of it. It, it, it's just, it boggles the mind that they switched away from it, but hey, if as long as it's back and they, who knows, they ride this momentum to a late-season push, I mean, I'm not going to complain to to have to watch that kind of football. I mean, it was nice football. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be sitting. One of the most jarring things about that formation (laughs) and the style early on was Russell Tybert playing like advanced cross-field balls and like pinging them right to players' feet. Like not I mean, just, I'm gonna put that it's not the there. back pass Russell Tiber that we know and love. Like this was, and it, it's just so frustrating at times because this is obviously something he's got in the locker and he's capable of. And <laughs> whether it's a system fit or just his general instincts, we don't see it that often. But yeah, I, I have some more I thoughts mean, on Tybert and Bakel and kind of comparing yeah. the two, which we can get into in a little bit. But yeah, I just wanted to add that in there. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because before the game, when I was sitting there at BC Place, I realized. They're playing a double pivot for the pretty much not the first time in a while because they don't they don't they use play, it very often though. They used they play the four because I'd I'd like to I'd say double pivot. They played a four four two against Seattle, but for me that doesn't count because Dahomey was playing as like a striker and it, and Russell Tiber was playing left mid. So it's the breath for for you French speakers out there. It wasn't very nice, and then. For me, Russell Tybert looked really good in preseason. He was, I wrote an article about him in preseason. He was really good. I was impressed. I was, I'm like, okay, if this is the Russell Tybert we're going to see, great. Opener, no one looked, you know, the forwards looked good in the opener. It, it wasn't a banner game for the midfielders. Okay, that, you know, Russell Tybert and Baum didn't exactly cover themselves in glory. The second game against LA, Russell Tybert was in a game where Jonathan DeSantos, Chicharito, Pavon, um, our Chicharito wasn't playing that game, was he? Maybe he was injured, but Pavon was definitely on. Um, Lucas Cavallini, all these guys. Russell Tiber was probably the best player on the park in that game in a double pivot. So I kind of tweeted out before the game. I'm like, the Whitecaps are returning to an actual double pivot. Tiber has an actual number six beside him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he looks better. And for whatever reason, I don't know if that was just – some sort of take that I should have realized earlier if that was just luck, but he looked 
really good. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is a little too much vindication so far earlier in the podcast than we're used to, but maybe I'm feeling a little confident in myself. But I, I thought he looked good in a double pivot. We should see more of it going forward. But I guess we should probably find start diving into the game at least. Well, so I don't know what moments are we want to go into first or what we want to talk about first. Well, I think but. now that we're talking about the midfield, I might as well just dump my Yanio Bakel and Russell Tybert in the first half take. And so because this is our first time seeing Bakel in a while and because it was Russell Tybert in a position we haven't seen him a lot, but he's had some success, I spent the majority of the first 30, 35 minutes of the match focusing on those two in the middle of the park and just kind of watching their play oh, even away from the ball. And I think the thing I noticed about Bakel, who still very much looked like he was getting a bit settled in and what wasn't at his best, but still looked quite comfortable, is his, and, and I said this in my post-match, his economy of movement in terms of the fact that he didn't, didn't overstretch himself, didn't make unnecessary runs, didn't press when it wasn't required but then when he needed to step in a passing lane or when he needed to get a foot in for a tackle or he made a couple key blocks right around the edge of the Whitecaps box where he used really good positioning and and got stuck in and made very you know decisive blocks which we don't see enough from Whitecaps defensive you know players in a defensive position we often see them get a foot in but they they only clip it or they don't get the block in and then you have Russell Tybert, who, as we said, you know, made some really nice passes and look lively. But then at times, especially later in the match, um, you see Russell Tybert dart up the pitch and go press someone way in the attacking third. And one simple pass beats him. And then he's running as hard as he can to get back defensively. And it's like, okay, great. That work rate, that hustle it's admirable and it's, it's impressive and rusty. Like, you know, I would not want to do any kind of endurance sport against him because the guy would just destroy you. Like his cardio, his fitness is insane. Plus he's played every MLS game this year. And that was his second game in two. In two and days. back to back on really, you know, poor turf. Like that turf is not easy on the body, but, but the point is, he doesn't need to make those pressing runs all the time. And he, he puts himself out of position unnecessarily. And I think just seeing someone in Bakel who was so composed and like the game moved so slowly for him. He saw everything happening. He reacted and it never kind of got away from him, even in his return from injury. And I think you see Russell Tyberg, he's doing everything he can, but sometimes he's too aggressive or he's out of position. And then he, he makes more work for himself than he needs to. And I think that, just by seeing Bakel alongside him and the roles they were playing, it made that very obvious to me. And that's not, I, I don't know if that's something Russell Tybert at this point in his career can like fix, so to speak. I think it's just, it's the way he plays. And I'm not sure that there's, there's a ton that can really be done about it. Yeah, that's, that's a very excellent point. And Daniel Bakel, yes. Talk about him. He, he has, it he had something yeah. about him as a defensive midfielder like you don't want to get too hung up on debuts and stuff but he showed great poise in his debut at right back and then at cdm within 20 minutes there was one tackle i think it was must have been it was the, on the left side so it was one of orgio quanquo safir tider maybe was even like one of the midfielders like shamit shom they cut in 
and Bikel had no business getting the ball off the guy. He had full position. He, like, wrapped his leg around and slid and got it. And they jumped, basically jump-started a counterattack on his own with one tackle. And I was like, wow. Like, you, you just don't – you don't see that. And he's, he made a few tackles that were really – just really impressive, I thought. And, and for what's nice is, like, unlike someone like Matias Laba, he can pass the ball. And he can pass it forward. He can pass it long. And it's not just, okay, I'll bite and no, no polish. He's got polish on him, and too. And he, he's so, not a dribbler, per se, but he's very comfortable on the ball. And he has good awareness of those around him, both on his own team and and on the opposing side as well. Like, he doesn't Matt, – Matty Laba would get on the ball, and it was, like, very kind of – unsettled the entire time until he got rid of it and it was like he's almost if Bikel would be like the dream partner for someone like Yana Rise just because he'd cover he Bikel covers ground but he's also technically gifted enough to play with people who are technically gifted as well it's not like a pure like a Laba and a Rise per se where it'd be like one guy does the dirty work and the other guy does all the the good looking work, you know, the made for TV work, let's per se. So, yeah, Bikel, I just really liked what I saw in terms of his mix of snarl, but he's also polished. And I think if you're the Whitecaps and you're playing the 4 2 3 1, a double pivot of Michael Baldissimo and Janio Bikel doesn't look all that bad right now because they're both good from deep lying positions. They can both spray the ball around, they both get stuck in. It's like the dream pivot because they do all of that so well. So it's not just – you're not going to see one number six overworked. You're going to see them just kind of, you know, just go all over the place and tackle and make long passes. And it frees up other places. I mean, for example, with having that sort of defensive cover, it maybe get allows you to get away with playing Ali Annan at left back again just because, okay, Ali Annan goes back. You have two good number sixes to cover for him. And, you know, I just think that that could maybe work because, again, well, as well mentioned, Christian Gutierrez was lights out, and I want to see more from him. But as much as I want to see more, you're not benching Ali Adnan as long as he's here consistently. Maybe game here, game there. But unfortunately for Gutierrez, that's just the reality. Unless we see Adnan on the wing, which, again, I'd, I'd love to see that. But we're still going to see a decent chunk of Adnan at left back. And he can play left back. Good. It's just with him, he has to be switched on. And when we've, we've seen, I think the Toronto FC win and the Montreal loss are two great examples at BC Place. And the Montreal win or Toronto win, he looks great at left back. Montreal loss, he looks terrible. But I think a Baldissimo-Bikel package could get the best out of him as well. And I think what's important about Bikel in the greater picture is that it it opens up the Whitecaps' DP choices a little bit. Because if you have Bikel there, if you're going to stick with that 4-2-3-1, you can either get a DP to play alongside him, or you can get a DP to put in that number 10 position. You can, you know, the Whitecaps, you, you mentioned it before the show, like they, they actually have a surprising amount of depth in certain areas. They're just missing a couple key types of players. And so no matter where that other creative midfielder fits in, if you, I think Bikel affords you a little more flexibility in who you bring in and you can really focus on, someone who's the right fit as opposed to just being like, gosh, we need competent midfielders. Having Bikel there is, is one piece. I think that, you know, if you, if you're projecting out what you've seen over the last couple matches and his overall reputation and the scouting done coming in, I think you can kind of pencil him in as a quality contributor for a, for a decent time to come. And on a, 
on a good deal for the Whitecaps. You know, you're not paying him designated player yeah, money. He's not a, and I kind of one point that I just, you know, I've thought of and we've mentioned it before. This what's been good about these signings and also the emergence of homegrowns is that it, it allows you to be a little more flexible because in the off season, someone like Ali Adnan at left back seems disastrous. But now and not, not because of Ali Adnan, just because of roster construction, but all of a sudden you get someone like Bikel giving you good value at his price. You give you David Milinkovic, who, by my math, he's got four primary assists in 10 games because he missed one at MLS. Or, yeah, I think in 10 or 11 games, that prorates to about... God, that actually... That, that, that prorates to 12, 15 assists over a season. Those are primary assists. That's DP production. I mean, obviously he needs to score. And David Milinkovic is definitely not going to be more than a TAM player. You got someone like Dahomey who leads the team in goals. Who's, you know, he's, he's, he's on pace to score seven or eight, which is a decent amount for a TAM player. All of a sudden, if you get Lucas Cavallini producing like a DP, you, get, you got Janio Bacal, you got Baldissimo playing a role. If you get a DP number 10 to link all of that together, you can get away with playing Ali Adnan at left back, which would be a luxury piece in a team like that. So to, to maybe to give credit to the Whitecaps, for whatever reason, this offseason versus last year, they're getting the sort of value from the bottom and the middle pieces of the roster that they weren't. And if anything, it's their DPs, like Ali Adnan and Lucas Cavallini, that are creating more headaches than, than the, the middle players are. And I think that's great recruitment. Like someone like Malinkovic, to have him on loan and probably – you have to imagine the option from Hull City is not very, very high. And you have to think that the interest on behalf of all three parties is for him to stay here. I think the Whitecaps want it. Hull's probably happy to see him go. And it sounds like the player wants it as well. Yeah. And for someone who's on pace to, to get 12 to 15 primary assists, and he's consistently done that. He hasn't faded. He's been one of the most consistent days in and out. That's huge. So I think, it's good to see that sort of play from from the, the the some of those you know middle middle tiered players on the roster, and you can kind of see why people might have been like when when they were missing guys like Bakel and Awusu and and Veselinovic, kind of like why people are like oh they're they're unproven. Well, even though they're maybe unproven in MLS, the, for whatever reason the scouting process behind all of them seemed pretty sound compared to past moves and just having them in the lineup. I mean, DeSanto said today in his press conference that some of the guys he's gotten back from injury and finally getting adapted has been like new signings. He said getting Freddie Montero back is like a new signing, having Ranko Veselinovic fit, Daniel Bikel, Leonard Wuss, all these guys has been like new signings. And like, that's actually, it, it makes sense. And this Whitecaps team is, you know, it's not a, you know, we're, obviously they have to show us more. They're not a great team yet. They're not complete. But all of a sudden, it looks a lot better seeing what these guys have done integrating in. And you can kind of see there's less – you're not looking at the shopping list, and it isn't as scary or daunting as it is before. There's, they're, you know, they're too deep at most positions. I think left back, center back, right back, goalkeeper. It's just getting depth in the midfield, getting a little more quality. And they got definitely got the pieces up front. So from, from that, let's talk about – I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I feel like – we sort of have to. Let's chat a little bit about the red card and Rudy Camacho's moment of madness in the 37th minute. Now, it looked like I didn't really wit- – we didn't witness this in real time, but 
on the broadcast. Oh, I caught it on the corner of my eye. It was well, pretty... no, no, not the incident no, not itself, the but on the, oh, yeah, on the yeah. broadcast, the fact that it seemed like Freddie Montero said something to Camacho. Oh. What that was, will we ever know? But, but just, yeah, the thoughts on the knee punch and, like, the madness that ensued. It's one of the sillier moments I've, I've seen in a while. And I guess, I guess I'll give my take first which is maybe a bit of like an, an old school Canadian or kind of hockey take. But if you're Camacho and you're, you're going to get sent <laughs> off, like you might as well make it worthwhile. It was just such, it was such a feeble kind of like half-hearted move on his part. So I just, I, I feel like if you're going to go to all that trouble, you might as well have gotten more out of it. It was just, it was very odd. Boy, I was, uh, I was just, in the press box, like I usually get, I'm pretty chill. Games, win, lose, whatever. I just kind of, I watch games, I process games. You know, whatever I'm seeing, but that I just, my head just like exploded watching that because that just pure idiot, it just idiosity. I'm gonna make up a word. It's just pure, just stupid st- stupidity. From 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 Camacho, like if I'm, I'm well as, if as I'm a Montreal would fan, schoolboy errors, right? If I'm if I'm my Montreal fan, like I would have put my fist through the drywall watching that at home on TV. Like that was just so useless. Like he gets fouled, and Freddie Montero comes. Oh, oh, how you do it? You know, maybe something like probably said something like, "Oh, come to my barbecue tomorrow" or something along the ha- lines. Have some of my coffee. Yeah, like. My coffee is better than your coffee. Something, probably something ridiculous. It's Freddie. Like, what, what could Montero possibly say? He seems like the, the, the most even, you know, the, to be fair, he's shown a fiery spark. I just find it hard to imagine Montero insulting him much beyond, like, you're not very good at soccer kind of vibes. So, I don't know. Whatever he said, like, fair play to, 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 to Montero for winding up because Camacho, like, full tantrum mode. You could see it on the replay. Just, like, he went to that mode where it's like you, you took away his chocolate from him or something. He's like, he like bunched up and he like lashed out. And then he realized, oh no, I just punched him in the knee. And it was so, it was just funny because you could see it from the press box and you're just like, why? And like, it looked a lot worse that first time. I thought he got punched in the, you know, midsection or right in the, 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 the private area or somewhere just not as much as favorable. And it was, and he costs his penalty. He gets and talk like it was just disastrous. Well, it was, thinking. It was so for mad- what? Like, it for- was so much madness that I don't think many of us in the press box even really realized. It's like, oh wait, that's a foul in the box. That's also a penalty. A penalty, Not just a red card. Like, like we just added like insult like, to injury, right? And like he not basically ruins his team's Canadian championship. Hope. Yeah. Like boy, talk about one, but like that. Like it actually has to be one of the most. Yeah, the stupidest thing I've seen live in a soccer game, certainly up there because we got we we berated Cavallini. Like Cavallini's was like nowhere near as bad as this, and that's saying something. Yeah. Not in terms of Cavallini was just it okay, makes Cavall- it makes Cavall look pretty good by comparison, or at least it, like, Whitecaps kind of lost his cool. forget about it now, right? Yeah, like Cavallini lost his cool. He tried to punch a guy. Like you know, at least he went after Binks and showed it was more of a pride thing. Like what the heck was Camacho trying to prove by punching Freddie Montero in the knee? Like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't, even, I don't know why it fired me up. It was just so stupid to watch that, that happen. And 
Yeah, was, that was just certainly it was very perplexing. Like I, I was sitting there moments afterwards, kind of going to myself, like, really? Did we just see that? It was just it was so absurd, right? And and I think it was uh it was interesting because Freddie Montero just had his fingerprints all over this match. And I, I guess that kind of transitions us to what I wanted to talk about next, which is, you know, Freddie freaking Montero, right? And and just after being in the wilderness for what seemed like a well, what seemed like and what was basically a, a year between starts, I think if if that's correct, over or, a year or even over more a than a year, right? And then he finally gets back into the squad. Mark DeSantos was singing his praises in terms of his work rate at training, what he'd been showing. We get to see it, and just the the composure on the ball, the, the football IQ, the patience, the intelligence. He's never had, you know, those amazing physical gifts, but he's such a ruthless finisher and, and so clever on the ball at times. And it was nice to, nice to be reminded of that because I think people in Vancouver sometimes – forget about it he's easy to kind of brush aside when he's not scoring goals but to see to see Montero have such a profound impact and now it creates an interesting lineup conundrum as well because Lucas Cavallini luckily for him is fully available in Salt Lake this weekend so Mark DeSantos is going to either get creative and play both of them together or going to have to make a very difficult decision well, I mean, I'm going to, first of all, Freddie, in my football manager save, I played Freddie Montero and Lucas Cavallini out top together. Freddie Montero won the golden boot. Cavallini finished two goals behind him. So, you know, if the virtual world says so, maybe there's some possibility they should have been playing together. But all, in all seriousness, Montero just brings something that I don't think anyone else on the team brings. And that's just, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to put it, but he has this, See, I don't want to say the other other players don't have this class about them, but Montero's. But, but they just also this, don't. It's a it's a different they, level. It's like a special. It's a special kind of class, and it it's experience almost because that second goal is just an example. Even the penalty, really, after seeing Cavallini step up timidly to two attempts and kind of look never look comfortable. One attempt he goes for power, easy save. The other one he just kind of shanks. When Montero stood up, I don't think the, the way any I saw was- Freddie step up to it, I would have bet my life savings on him putting that in the back of the goal. Like he just had this look and this confidence that was like, "Yep, this is in the back of the net." And the thing is with Montero, he's done that last year. I think he was like, by my memory, like four for four on penalties or something like that. The only penalty miss was Adnan's shambles that maybe should we we do not speak of. But I'm pretty sure Montero went like four for four or five for five on his penalties. And like on most of the time, the goalie isn't close, and and that's because Montero, he just has this way of dictating the where he wants to go. Like his body language on penalties is immaculate. He, with with with, uh, you know, with Diop, he gave him these eyes and his faint. Like basically, I'm gonna put it. You're gonna think I'm gonna put it there, and I'm gonna put it there, and it, you're gonna go the wrong way because you're so perplexed. And he doesn't have to put it in the top corner just because he's so good at that and that that second goal that that was for me it was it was just so classy because obviously he gets it laid off and he's at a really tough angle on his weak foot yet he just one touch first touch freddie as they used to call him back in 2017 
hard low off the post and in like the perfect finish. And you're like, Oh my goodness. I haven't seen that from a white caps player in a while. Like you look at like, who, who like Cavallini hasn't done that sort of finishing so far. Obviously Montero did it at times last year. Kai Kamara wasn't that kind of finisher. His was more, I'm going to dominate you in the air and score lots of nice headers. Like since Montero's like maybe his prime in 2017, we haven't seen a finisher like that. We forget how good of a finisher he is like, there's just this class about him. I think if you're the Whitecaps and you're DeSantos, he's definitely, you've got to use him, be it off the bench or as a, you know, as a starter, sorry, because as we kind of mentioned before, with the rest of your roster, you know, at the beginning of the year, you're worried, okay, is Freddie Montero handcuffing your ability to build the rest of your roster? Now that Schuster has has hit on some of these lower value signings, at least, you know, it's small sample size. Maybe someone like Janio Bakel, Leonard Owusu, David Malikovich, all these guys we said won't pan out, but we'll, we'll say so far they have. If you continue to get value from those players making less money, you can kind of stomach having a Freddie Montero make maybe a little more than you'd want him to make. But like, if he's going to keep doing that, like it's, he's definitely worth the money if he's going to do what he did on, uh, on Wednesday. Well, unless we haven't even talked about, so you're talking about Freddie's second goal, the, the third for the Whitecaps. I mean, his holdup play and then the nice little ball that he played through to Milinkovic to set up, to set up the second Whitecaps goal. Again, it, it wasn't in finishing. It was in, it was in buildup play and it was through playmaking, but the, the calmness, like he's just kind of there on the ball, makes a nice little turn, plays a beautiful ball through to Malinkovic, just perfectly weighted. It, and it wasn't like it wasn't a highlight reel play, but it was just so such well, a. He did vet- put it through Fanny's legs, but but, it, yeah. but the thing is, putting it even the nutmeg like it wasn't an ooh ah nutmeg. It was just so casual. It's just like yep, just gonna play that ball through your legs. Don't mind me, and just that ease with which he did it, I think is is something that's missed at times. And and I have to say, I mean, I, I thought there was a time the way that. Mark DeSantos was speaking about Montero that we might not see him play another match for the Whitecaps. Like it just looked like things had kind of gone off the rails. So to, to see him get back into the fold and contribute, even if it's just for the rest of this year, it's great to see. And the Whitecaps just need to need to, you know, maximize his potential and and use every ounce of that class that he's got. Yeah, it, it was uh... I definitely, and the thing is, he, he played as a lone number nine, but he drifted so much that you just see the a, a Cavallini Montero partnership in an in this four two three one could be end up being profitable because there were holes in his game. I'm not gonna lie, Montero's pressing was pretty pretty shambolic. If you're gonna be honest, if you're gonna nitpick, like for all the for how amazing his finishing was, his hold up play, his pressing was basically non-existent. When he pressed, he was just jogging. And like, fair enough. Like he's he's he doesn't exactly have spring chicken legs and whatnot. And obviously, in a four-two-three-one, you do wonder if him not tracking back. But theoretically, you if you can imagine a scenario where the wingers are two of Milinkovic, Bear, or Dahomey, who really track back well and make up for that, if they can find a way to compensate for Montero's lack of defensive ability. And Cavallini, to be fair to him, presses. He always presses really hard. You could see a, a makings of a good front four there. Like, 
just the way with Montero, how he, he's such a quality finisher coming from deep areas as a number 10, but also setting up his teammates. You do just wonder if there's a, the potential for a, for a decent little, little front four there. Yeah. And so I, I guess we already kind of touched on um, the, the idea of Cava and, and Freddie playing together, but if you had to make a lineup prediction for Saturday, and maybe kind of both what you'd like to see and both what you expect Mark Dos Santos to trot out. What are you, what are you backing right now? Well, it's tough. Cause I think the, for me, I'd want the back five to stay intact just cause we kind of talked about it at the stadium. We saw the benefits of playing two actual fullbacks for a back four. Cause we'll not, we won't get ourselves good is a really good right back, but he's also not a natural right back. And Ali Adnan's more of a five at the back fullback. We've talked about that. Gutierrez and Jake Nowinski are both meant for back fours and they showed it and it made a huge difference. So I wouldn't want to drop them, but I could see Adnan slotting back in just because you can't leave him out for too long. So kind of, I'd want to see Baldissimo Bikel just because they were both rested. They, you know, they each played 45, so they're pretty rested. Um, I'd like to see Montero and Cavallini on, one underneath the other. I think I'd like to see Milinkovic and Dahomey maybe give Bear, Bear a rest just because he he wasn't at his best maybe on, on Wednesday after being really good on Sunday. So maybe bring him off the bench as an option for when Montero starts to fade or something like that. And then kind of go with that as a front six. Maybe just play, play Adnan just to start him and see how if he's on his game or if he's not. Because with Adnan, again, he's so enigmatic. And then go Cornelius, go Ranko Veselinovic, go Jake Nerwinski. Heck, even you could put in Godoy for Ranko Veselinovic and then stick with us all. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much fully on board with that. I think we're, you know, we, we talk about enough about this together and discuss these tactics that we're largely on the same page. But <laughs> uh, the one guy I wanted to touch on that we haven't yet is Leonard Wusu because it was a tough outing for him the last time out and you know we've sang his praises a lot and we kind of had to take a bit of a step back and say okay that was not the best performance hopefully he can can kind of regroup and you know find his form a little bit and we saw Owusu come on and play in the number 10 something we haven't seen yet in Whitecaps colors and um, that second Montero goal the the third one in the match it wasn't like the prettiest give and go play between him and Montero. The ball was kind of floating up in the air and defenders were a little bit confused, but, but beyond even just that, Wusu looked comfortable at the 10 and, and not to, not to name any names, but I know some people in Vancouver media are surprised by the fact that Wusu can play the 10, but those, those amongst us who followed his escapades, you know, and, and kind of did some research into what he was doing uh, in Africa and earlier on in his career, know that he's got that in the bag and he looked pretty pretty comfortable in that number 10 spot, at least as far as I was concerned. Yeah, well, it's good for if the Whitecaps stick with this 4-2-3-1, they have options at each position. Up front, they got Cavallini, they got Ricketts, they got Montero on the wings. There's Dahomey, Milinkovic, Bear, Raposo, which is good quartet are you know good for people to have and the number 10 they got Raposo Montero um they got Malinkovic and now they got Awusu and I think Awusu is an interesting one because in the 4-2-3-1 I don't think a double pivot is his best I think you'd go Bacal Baldissimo but but 
if you're not feeling what Montero can bring defensively, I think putting in someone like Awusu at the number 10 could be a good option because he's good both ways. And he's got the defensive ability to play as a number six, but his passing is good. He dribbles. He's definitely a, a, probably the best dribbler of the Mike Caps midfielders because Bikel, he can dribble. He's not much of one. Same with Baldissimo. He's more of a passer than a dribbler. And obviously, Obusu's shooting is not good. I don't think uh, I don't think any of us are gonna put, could pretend otherwise. So maybe sometimes you'd hope for more there. But the way he can bring his teammates into the play definitely makes him an option at the number ten in certain uh, in certain situations. I think maybe it kind of depends. I think I think what's good with DeSantos's team right now that he has at his disposal is that assuming they keep the four two three one and keep the experimentation to the players and not the formation because the four, two, three, one works. Just don't mess with that for now. They got depth and they got options. They got, okay, if we have a game where we're going to control play a bit more, we can play Ali Adnan at fullback instead of Gutierrez and have, you know, you know, just those sorts of options to, to play. Okay. We can play more of an offensive midfield. We can play more of a, okay. We could play Freddie Montero at the 10. And then in there's some games where you know you're going to have to defensively be really sharp. You might play a front four of Cavallini and then Owusu in the, at the 10. Milinkovic and Dahomey are really good wide defenders and then play a, a defensive pivot in, of Bakel and, and Baldissimo and play Gutierrez. And, you know, maybe basically the Whitecaps have a lot of depth and they got a lot of versatility, which is good for game planning within their 4-2-3-1. And I think... Uh, Awusu's play at the number 10 showed that because I think he can bring a new dimension to the, the attack and the defense if he's deployed there. So, and then the last individual player that I kind of had on, on my list of talking points was an ode to Derek Cornelius because this to me was the, the stereotypical ideal defender performance because basically he, he had one very notable block and other than that, he was, and, and I wrote this in my post-match, he was ever-present, but he wasn't that noticeable. And to me, that's like the, the shining light like, of the ideal defender. You want someone who's always there and always in the right position, but you're not noticing him because he's on the very ragged edge of being beat or he's out of position or he's you know, having to clear the ball 25 times. It was just such a a stereotypical quality performance. And I think a, a sign of maturity from Derek because the amount of progression we've seen from him since the beginning of last season is, is I think quite incredible. Like the way he's played for the Canadian national team, he had some starts at the beginning of last year for Vancouver, where it was all over the place. He looked uncomfortable. He wasn't quite ready. And now he's putting in these kinds of what I would call like veteran center back performances and you know the fact that he's a guy you can just put in on that back line and not really worry about too much is 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 such a compliment I think so he was just a guy that even though the stat sheet wasn't necessarily packed really stood out to me in a in an understated way yeah and I think it's I mean I'm happy from our perspective because we've really been on the Cornelius train for a while just because we felt like he didn't get enough love. And I think he's shown why he, he deserves to play. And it's credit to him for me. And my every, every time I think about an ideal Whitecaps lineup right now, Cornelius is always in it. And, and how it can you leave him out? The only, and it helps he's the only left-footed center back, obviously. 
But he's just so solid, and he pairs so well with everyone, I think. And it's good to have that depth because injuries happen, rotation happens, and but, you know, and it's, the white cap center back depth will come in handy later, I'm sure. But it's good to know, okay, they can play Cornelius and Godoy, Cornelius and Ranko, Cornelius and Rose. He looks good. He's looked good all the time. And I think he's just – he's such a solid defender. He, he's the jack of all trades. And maybe that's not the sort of skill you'd want from a striker per se, but in a center back, it's, it's such a great tool set to have. And I'm, I'm very happy to see him progress because he's going to be a huge asset for the Canadian national team going forward. And for the Whitecaps too, he's only 22. So – yeah, Cornelius, that's pretty much all I can say for him. He's just been so solid. But I guess kind of some last two players we kind of haven't really mentioned. I think we, we kind of went over everyone, I think, for the most part. At least mostly glancing. I mean, David Milenkovic, again, I thought he was excellent. We, he, he does deserve some more praise. Even though Mark DeSantos warned the media not to talk about him too much or else he'll start thinking he's Neymar. So maybe we won't talk too much about it, but... Christian Gutierrez and Jake Norwinski and, and Thomas Hassall, those three. I don't know how, what order we want to do this, but maybe the fullback, Sam. How good were Gutierrez and Norwinski on uh, Wednesday? Well, they were, they were very good. They were, as, as we said, I think for whatever reason, the, those pure fullbacks fit so much better in that system and just look more comfortable. And, uh, you know, we've been, we've been banging the Nerwinski drum all year. And we've certainly been, we've certainly been encouraged by what we saw from Gutierrez. And I think obviously that substitute performance in the match prior really put him in the race for a start, coupled with the fact that Ali Adnan was, you know, uh, was a bit of an adventure in that match prior. So everything kind of lined up for it to make a lot of sense. And yeah, they were just, they're, I said to you before the match in the press box, I think that Cornelius Vasilinovich, Gutierrez, and Jake Nerwinski, that is your best combination of athletes who can probably your most balanced back also defend. Like they're all they're all decent going forward, decent in defending, and they're all athletic. Like they can they can make a run forward, they can get back in position, they all kind of play a a similar style defensively. And so I think it's just the chemistry seemed to work. And I guess the only thing you'd like to see more, um, and I'll say this, I think Gutierrez was pretty involved offensively or like he picked his spots well, but Jake Nerwinski, there's just still, you want that offensive creativity from his rookie year. And it just doesn't seem like it's there anymore. I don't know if that's because, MLS has just improved to a level where what he was doing in that first season doesn't work anymore, or if it's, he's just changed as a player. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but that's the only thing like in an ideal world, you'd like to see a little more offensive creativity from Jake, but, but also in comparison to his rookie year, I think he's improved massively as a defender, even in comparison to earlier on this season. And definitely in comparison to last season, last season, he was caught out of position a a very high quantity of times I thought in comparison to what you would expect. Like there were just times where he stepped up and and pressured and left a massive gulf behind him. And you don't see that very often anymore. He seems, he seems to really found a groove and, and both those guys look very comfortable. So I'm encouraged. Like I would be happy with that being your back four going forwards, but obviously Ali Adnan throws a wrench in that and and you have good wingers so i don't know if you just want to put ali on the wing permanently it's a 
I mean, I think ultimately the best solution is to sell Ali when it makes sense, to be perfectly honest. But but for now, Mark DeSantos is going to have to get creative and find the way to make the best out of all these guys. And I think as you mentioned, like Tybert and Bikel back there in that defensive midfield too, they can cover for Ali in a way that could be really positive. Or Baldissimo and Bikel, for example. So there is room there. But But yeah, to heaping praises basically on those two fullbacks and overall on the back four it was after two really 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 poor defensive performances in those prior two matches this was a massive step back to what we saw at mls's back in those last couple matches where the white caps really buttoned things up defensively yeah well i guess we'll talk a bit about Manan in a bit since he was our third one of our three third subs of the games because again mark DeSantis made five subs so it's nice to have that but at least it was one at a time this time yeah it was one at a time so with adnan obviously in a dream world he, world he's a great winger as a three at the back he's a, a full he's a wing back and or he's a great sub obviously with him you you do wonder with his strong personality you don't want to like that's the hard part with me. It's like on a dream world, he'd be an I- ideal super sub or an ideal winger. It's just, will he, how will he react to that role? Can you fit him into those roles? So that's more the, you know, it's tough. That's something we forget about managing these players. It's also managing egos. It's managing personalities. And we see that sometimes, but for Gutierrez and Nerwinski, just, they were so solid. And I think I want to give praise to the back four as a whole because we were pretty critical of them on Sunday, and rightfully so, or I guess the days after. But we have to also give credit where credit is due. They tightened the ship up defensively massively. Like, they did all the things we weren't, we felt like they didn't do the, day, the game before. They closed down crosses. There weren't many dangerous crosses that went in, and the ones that do Thomas has comfortably had. They closed down, the midfielders and the defenders closed down space at the top of the box. They tracked runners. And overall, they just made things less fun for Montreal. And you know what? Montreal, despite having a good chunk of possession, even with, with 10 men, they looked more dangerous. They only had like 1.2 or 3 XG. The day before, they had 3.4. So like they just, the Whitecaps limited defense, the, the, white, the Montreal impact getting the dangerous area, areas. And as we said, they, as we noticed the day before, where we said the Whitecaps were giving away bad possession. The Whitecaps gave away great possession against Montreal. They only they only had 52% possession, which against a team with 10 men isn't ideal. But the 48 Montreal had was not a very good 48. It wasn't a threatening 48. And if they can keep defending like that, so closing down the spaces and being tighter at the top of their box, there's no reason why they can't be a team that consistently only allows zero, one, or two goals a game instead of being a team that constantly ships three and is honestly lucky to, to ship more. So I just wanted to give some, you know, love to the back line for that. And I think Norwinsky and Gutierrez being in there and being really solid and closing down wingers really helped for that because they were just so solid defensively. Well, and I'll just add to that, that even the, uh, the goal, Kyoto's goal, it was, you know, it wasn't necessarily poor defending from the Whitecaps as much. It's just they were a little too soft and it was a nice ball from Tidare. It was a really great turn from Kyoto and a really, you know, rocketed near post finish. So it's, you don't like to concede those, but at the same time, if, if those are the kind of goals you're allowing, you live with that more than just a free shooting gallery at the edge of the box. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just solid. I, I think if they can do that more, they can be a good defender. 
offensive team. That's what's frustrating when they show moments like this. And I think for, for me personally, what I want to see in the next game, I don't care if the Whitecaps win. Obviously, if they win, they're all of a sudden pretty darn good position considering there's an eight-point gap between first and last in the West. Which is just obscene. Yet a 16-point gap between first and last in the East to give you an idea to show how tight that is. So obviously a win would help. But for me, the one thing I want to see just because we haven't seen it often this year is game over game growth. And this is huge because for the first time this year, the Whitecaps didn't lose two games after winning one. That's as, as mind-boggling as that sounds. They beat LA Galaxy. They lost to San Jose and Seattle. They beat Chicago. They Well, they drew SKC, but that doesn't count for regular season. And then they lost four games in a row. So for the first time, they won a game. Toronto FC, they lost again, which is they haven't won back-to-back since May. But for the first time since last year, they were able to win two games in three out of three just because they bounced back. So that's, first of all, a start. But now I want to see game over game growth. I, I want to see them show, okay, we can continue and show this defensive work that it wasn't a fluke. To show the stuff we did in the final third, that wasn't a fluke. And obviously, I think playing in a 4-2-3-1 will help because it's more of a steady formation that gets more to their best players than say maybe the four three one two at all. It's a good formation. I think they should keep it in their back pocket, but it, it felt a lot more circumstantial against Toronto working versus what we saw when Montreal kind of just broke it apart. So I think if they can show growth, that's what I want to see. But speaking of growth, the kind of the last point I want to talk about Thomas Hassall, like what a kid, like you don't want to, he, we, we were talking about how we, his, his play on Sunday wasn't that good. And we said what, what, at least what I said was, just give him another game and see how he bounces back because that gives you an idea of where a kid's at and for him to go in and have a not frankly again what I said a not good performance on Sunday he was excellent on on Wednesday the goal not much you can do about that one one of the best strikers in the league right now in form turns and smashes one top bins but he made the saves he had to but it wasn't just the saves he commanded the area again He, he, he took care of everything he swept things up and Obviously, the defense actually doing him a favor helped. But it also showed that when his defense is working for him and he's working for his defense, they seem to have a good cohesiveness and a good understanding. So full credit to Hassal for his game. I thought he was, he was excellent. I think he deserves the praise after getting maybe some of the less of the praise on, on, uh, on Sunday. Well, yeah, I don't really have a ton to add other than I think we probably both feel validated in the sense that our take after the match on Sunday was, okay, that was an off day. It's a bit of a coming down from, you know, a long, a long high and a long period of, you know, things happening pretty quickly and a lot of emotions and a lot of wear and tear physically. So to see him just bounce right back, like nothing had happened and pick up right where he left off, it shows a, a level of maturity and mental toughness at a young age. That's really impressive because it could have easily that that lesser performance could have gotten to his head and could have, you know, seen some doubt creep in, but obviously not because he made a couple, a couple of top quality saves. And as you said, commanded the area well, and yes, the defense certainly helped, but he did his part as well. So uh, that's great to see. And yeah, I, I have immense confidence in Hassal's abilities. And it sounds like, I mean, Mark Dos Santos this morning on the conference call was not, overly optimistic about Max Cropo. It sounds like we might not see him for the rest of the season. So, you know, he's not back to doing any drills or anything 
with a ball in his hands yet. So I, that's a ways off. So it's Thomas Sassal's net for the foreseeable future. And I don't think that's a bad thing for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Yeah. And it's going to open up a whole, if he keeps playing the way he has, it's going to open up an interesting can of worms in the off season. Obviously if someone like goat comes up for Hassal at this point, knowing you have Crepo and it's a offer worth your time, you sell him to Europe. I think as a young kid, as for Canadian MNT for just the white caps Academy as a whole, it's a move you do, but you do start to wonder if this, he keeps playing like this all of a sudden, okay, maybe like someone like Montreal, they want a Crepo homecoming. Do you accept a trade for him for Max Crepo knowing you have Hassal and, We'll go more into that as the offseason comes. It's way too early to talk about all that. But again, like we've said with some of the play of the other players, he's making things complicated for a head coach. That's perfect. That's what you want. You want competition. And especially in the case of the Whitecaps, where, again, their their issue seems to be more of top-end talent almost in a way. They, they still have a DP spot open. You know, we talk, we look at guys like Cavallini and Adnan. It's the, the guys at the top of the roster that are more confusing that's perfect if the Whitecaps are going to make their hay as a team that is deep and they rotate well and they want to make some noise in the playoffs that's what you want to see you want to see that competition and then that'll be good to know knowing into next year okay if they add the right DPs to this mix there's already a pretty good mix brewing in place but on that note third sub of the game shall we well, yeah, uh, it really is just in this case one third sub of the match because, I mean, Jordi Rena and uh, to St. Ricketts came in in the 89th and really just mm-hmm. got their legs loose a little bit but, but didn't do much else. So for Allie, it was, it was actually, in my estimation, a very ideal third sub of the match performance because he didn't really do a lot. But what I thought was interesting is that his presence – in his 17 plus minutes of action, it opened up space on that left-hand side. And I think you saw the, the kind of complexity and, and threat of the Whitecaps attack change and be revitalized a little bit when he came on. So although he didn't necessarily set the world on fire with, you know, a bunch of key passes or anything like that, he, his presence was felt and it's nice to see, even though he didn't start, and even though you know Gutierrez was full value for his performance, that Ali could come on and have even a subtle little impact there in the late stages. Yeah, for me, my one word would have to be like confusion, because I just look at Ali and I'm like, what the heck do I do with this guy if I'm the Whitecaps? Because he's here for the rest of the season. I have to feel I like I, I would be a massive surprise to me if he was sold at this point because just the timing of everything and who knows we might see him next year we might not I have no clue what's going to happen with him it's it's a great question and it's tough he's a great player I think in the club he if you look at I think he he's definitely got up there with Montero for having the best pedigree in the club in terms of past achievements just because he's played in Syria and honestly as someone pointed out I think it might have it might have been your one of your. I think it was Caleb Wilkins actually from from your side. I think he said he pointed out that the white uh, that Ali Adnan was one mistimed vacation plan away from being in Serie A right now. Like he's got quality, he's got pedigree. So you know he's in the in the club. He's definitely a maybe top three players in certain terms of talent, in terms of quality, in terms of pedigree, and he's still like. We joke that he's 42. He's still 25, 26. He's still young. Allegedly. Allegedly. So you want to, you see the value in having a player like him. It's just him. The problem is where do you put him? So I think 
it's definitely worth exploring putting him on the wing. But then again, it's going to come down if I hope he, you know, he seems to be a team player. We, you know, he's a passionate guy and sometimes his passion spills over and causes headache, but he seems to be a team player. His teammates get along with him from what we see. There's not, you know, sometimes they get a bit scared off by his passion, but they seem to really like him and you can tell. So if it, I want, you wonder, will he accept playing on the wing knowing that, okay, it might, maybe it might even hurt my chances of going back to Europe or my value a bit, but it'll help the team. And, this and that because I think you, Ali Adnan on, on a wing option like heck you could as I said game plan play him on left back sometimes but just having that wild card of playing him on the wing should definitely be explored going forward if uh, in my opinion yeah my word my word is mercurial because he's you know volatile way of putting it and unpredictable and you know as I've already stated on this on the same podcast I think you know, big picture, he's a guy you want to sell on and let him go into a roster where he's not such a luxury player and where he's just a, you know, a, an everyday starter and you you like what he has to offer offensively and he's a good system fit. But long-term in Vancouver, does it make sense? No. But for now, it's Mark DeSantis's job to find the best and most creative way to use him and also to keep Ali happy. I mean, that's a it's a reality too. You can't just throw him on the bench you can't just put him in a position he's not comfortable in. you kind of have to you know find this delicate balance and he's as you said he's a guy with a lot of quality still there's attributes to be used and so it's just a a matter of finding the best way of doing that and like we talked about with you know the goalkeeping situation and Hassal making a push ditto with Gutierrez like if you have guys fighting for position ultimately that's a good problem to have rather than you know, last season, whether it was in the midfield or even off the bench and attack, sometimes Mark Dos Santos, he'd turn around, look at his bench and go, who am I putting in here? I don't even know. And I mean, he maybe should have put in guys like Michael Baldissimo as we pleaded in our, you know, over and over and all that. And, you know, maybe, but I... It's neither here nor there at this point. Ultimately... at the bench last year versus this year, it's night and day. Yeah, so I think that's that's pretty much it. But the the one thing we haven't touched on yet, and that we should at least uh, you know devote a tiny little bit of time to at the end of this podcast, is Real Salt Lake. And full disclosure on my behalf, I am not a Real Salt Lake expert at this point. Haven't seen a ton from them. But what I can tell you is that I'm not sure watching their matches would have helped much because since MLS is back. You've got a 4-1 victory against Colorado, a 4-4 against Portland, a 2-2 against Seattle, a 4-0 loss to Minnesota, a 3-0 win against LAFC, and then a 5-0 loss against Real Salt, against Colorado. Not They didn't lose against themselves. They lost against Colorado. So that's a 5-0 most recently, a defeat. And the uh, red card in that one, so obviously mixed things up a bit. But what, like a mixed bag? You got two, is, two wow. blowout losses. You've got two high-scoring draws, and then a victory over LAFC, who you know has been LAFC's been all over the place this season too. So I don't know how much stock you put in that, but they're currently sitting ninth, I believe, in the Western Conference. So not that far ahead of the Whitecaps. I mean, the Whitecaps are on twelve points. Real Salt Lake's on fourteen same amount of matches played 
but yeah, I you don't see much there in terms of style of play, in terms of form or predictability. Like it's a it's a big question mark, and and ultimately you have to think that if the Whitecaps come in to the match in Utah with the same kind of stuff they brought against Montreal, they're going to have a decent chance of being in the match at the very least. And I think Mark Dos Santos over these next three games, if they got four points, anything above four points, I think you'd be relatively happy with. Yeah. I think uh, it's a tough road trip for the Whitecaps and maybe we'll, I think we'll kind of be going as we usually, as we've done all summer. I think it's been a good format. We've kind of gone game by game. Maybe maybe we'll we'll just say we've been listening to Mark DeSantos. You can only focus on the game in front of you, and we'll keep doing that. So I, I won't look too much forward to LAFC because, boy, what to expect from them. They've been about as mixed bag of a team as you've seen this season. And obviously Portland is always a unique battle. But Rail Salt Lake, I, I just – yeah, I don't know. With them, it's – they've got – they've clearly got quality and attack at times, it feels like. It feels like you look at – you know, they, they put out – they, yeah, the, the results indicate, for example, sorry, that they have the offensive talent to, to make games break open. But also you do wonder, is there, are they always there at the back? You know, is there, you do wonder, okay, at the back, is it really as solid as it could be at the back? And it's good make, make, matchup for the Whitecaps because they, the as we've said, just aside from the, at least I've realized, aside from that, four-and-a-half-game dark spell where they just forgot how to shoot and score, the Whitecaps are pretty good at scoring. They've scored in pretty much every game aside from those, that, that four-game patch. They've scored – so they scored once in the home opener, once in the second game, but then they scored three in, uh, against San Jose. They get shut out against LA, uh, Seattle. They score two, but then now they've scored three and then two again. So clearly they can score, and what I've noticed is – they actually outperform their expected goals. They're really clinical finishers on their team, surprisingly. It's just they don't generate enough chances. That's something they have to focus on going forward. So against this RSL defense, are they going to get chances to, to get, get, the, get the opportunity, sorry, to, to get some more chances? If they can, it can be a wide-open game. If, and it all depends on the Whitecaps, I think. It's definitely, it feels like right now, games where the Whitecaps have lost, they almost beat themselves before the other team has a chance to beat them. And I think there are teams that will beat the Whitecaps when the Whitecaps are at the best, but it just feels like even though say a team against Toronto FC that battered them and you'd expect that to happen, the Whitecaps didn't always put up their fighting chance. And when they did against in the third game, they won. So clearly there's more quality in the Whitecaps than we expect. So if they, I think if they defend well, if they get more chances and they play in that 4-2-3-1, it's 100% a game they can win. Obviously, away from home, it's never easy to win in MLS, and you expect RSL to have a slight edge. But I, don't, I think this is a really close game. So it's going to depend on which team shows up on either side, really, and if the Whitecaps can avoid beating themselves. Because, you look, RSL's got quality. Corey Baird, as much as the Whitecaps fans don't like him, he's a great little attacker. Justin Merrim was a great pickup for them. I mean, I, I said, at least I wrote in an article, he's definitely last year someone the Whitecaps should have looked at in the offseason. That was before they signed on someone like David Milinkovic, who's a really good alternative on the wing. You look at Albert Rushnak, always quality in the as a, as a number ten for them. Everton Louise, you know, he's he's a bit of a mixed bag sometimes in the defensive mid, but when he's on, he's a quality defensive mid. That Nedum Anhua and Justin Glad is a really a surprisingly underrated center back pairing. 
it's just you know losing Nick Romando certainly hurt in goal. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, well, didn't they? They have um, what uh, Zach McMath? But I was going to say and, sh- shout out to Zach McMath, the former uh, shout out to right Zach now. McMath, and then the the one they the guy they played last uh, last week, Andrew Putna, seems like a you know, an average MLS goalkeeper. I mean, he gave up four, five goals, so it wasn't his best game, but they've got a solid team. It's just, I think it's just going to be a solid match. It's tough to, to really know how they're going to play just because I haven't seen enough of RSL. But RSL and Vancouver, they kind of strike me as that mid-tier of, of Western Conference. Because if you look, it's, it's noticeable this year because of how tight. I think the Western Conference is really deep this year compared to the Eastern Conference where it's really hit or miss. Like you got hit Columbus at the top, miss. You got kind of Inter-Miami and the team Cincinnati at the bottom, kind of those teams. Whereas in the West, there's just this, the top tier where I think it's the Sounders, it's the Portland Timbers. It's, you know, maybe less so LAFC, but when, they, when they're on their game and they have Carlos Vela, surely you'd have to count LAFC there. LA Galaxy when they're on their game. But then you look at that mid-tier, there's teams like, RSL, oh, actually, sorry, Minnesota on that top tier. Cannot forget how good Minnesota has been. And they signed Kai Kamar today. Shout out to our former Whitecap. That's a huge trade for them. And then there's just this mid-tier of Vancouver Whitecaps, Colorado, Real Salt Lake, Houston Dynamo, you know, San Jose. Whereas they're certainly on varying trends. Some are going up, some are going down. But based on the Whitecaps, if they can continue to push up, maybe one day they can be in that top tier. But I definitely think a game like this against RSL, all of that long-winded just to say, I think it'll be a good measuring stick of where they're at in the West just because they've played so many games in the East recently. Yeah, my thoughts on the matchup are kind of that the fact that RSL has been so unpredictable recently bodes well, at least in the sense that kind of like Montreal, maybe Vancouver can come in and set the tone and kind of dictate the style of play. And if they're capable of doing that, then they have the, I think they have a good shot of being in the match and being competitive. And I, as you mentioned, with all the quality that RSL does have, even if they've been a bit all over the place lately, I, I can't predict the Whitecaps going in to Salt Lake and getting a full three points, but I think we could see something like a highly entertaining 2-2 draw. So that's kind of the result I'm, I'm backing in this one. Yeah, well, boy, predictions. You're making me do a prediction now. So, I mean, it's tough to say because I just, I feel like, personally, I feel like a Whitecaps win is imminent. And my reason is just they haven't won back-to-back in over a year and a half. Like, at a certain point, their number is up. And I think RSL is the perfect team where they just kind of go and scrape out a, a, you know, a 2-1, I'd feel, and be like, okay, call it a day. So... You know what, I'll, I'll stand by that and predict a win just to kind of, you know, I can't predict what, what you predict. That's not fun. And I, I don't think they're going it's, to – it's tough because I think with the momentum, I don't think they're going to lose. I think, as, as, you know, as bold of a take that is, I just don't feel like RSL is going to – they're going to be a game for them to lose. And I look at LAFC Portland, those are definitely going to be two tough games. In, in LAFC, I see it's, it's going to be like a 3-1 LAFC win, honestly. That, that's my prediction, but we'll predict that later. Yeah, Vancouver, most likely, they want to get points out of this one because it might be tough sledding in the next two. And then playing Portland, what essentially is home for Portland. Let's not yeah, it's, try to it's two It's two away up. matches, whether they like it or not. And so, yeah, this one, I think they're 2-1 wins my prediction. I think they're going to go right. full out, even – 
they're gonna yeah they're gonna go full out for this one so that's just kind of how i feel maybe i'll i'll look out of off my completely off my my chair but if not who knows but after predicting one last game as well go for it right yeah might as well stick with the with the hot hand and uh now we're back to we're back to level in terms of beers promised because you you absolutely nailed it on the last one so we're 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 in a dead heat right now and we'll have to see how the match goes on saturday but uh alex you have anything else to add before we sign off here I think we covered it all. That's uh, the rants between the rants and the rambling and the this and that. I think we we pretty much covered most of the game. I mean, an ode to BC Place. We're gonna miss you. Absolutely. Uh, we're really unlikely we're miss more matches. I mean, oh no, the, the, there's not. Well, they extended the border today, as yeah. I expected, till late October. So maybe playoffs in BC Place, maybe a final. Yeah, so, you know, the, they White, get the Whitecaps far. winning MLS Cup could happen in Vancouver. But if we're being realistic, but we will see BC Place again in 2021. And it was only, like for both of us, it was only three matches, right? Because you missed the first one. I missed one at the beginning of this restart. So not the normal season we're used to, only going to BC Place uh, three times for a match. We'll definitely miss it, but you know we're adapting to everything that's gone on and uh, looking forward to being back there in 2021. So uh, yeah, for me, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter and at 86forever.com where we're as always pumping out all kinds of Vancouver Whitecaps content. So check that out. And uh, Alex, over to you. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty much it. It's uh, it's been a it's been a interesting week. So. Twitter at Alex Gungeruzek at BTS Fan City, BTSFanCity.com. Catch you online for Real Salt Lake Vancouver Whitecaps 6:30 Pacific Saturday night. Saturday night lights. Can they make it two wins for, uh, from two games? Win back-to-back games for the first time since May, late April, May 2019. We find out. So I guess on that note. If we missed anything, well, we'll put it in episode number 46. So uh, we'll catch you on the other side. Yeah, enjoy the match, everyone, and talk again soon.